0: This show is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com green technology helping reduce the need for business travel. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rally to Restore Sanity, NPR, The New Left Media, Countdown, On the Media, Real Time with Bill Maher, and The Rachel Maddow Show with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Daily Show.
1: John Stewart may have given his reasonable medals, but I have a medal of my own to award today. I am proud to present the first annual Stephen Colbert Fear Award. Each recipient today will receive this handsome bronze fear medal depicting a naked man running with scissors. Now, each medal bears the inscription, Kauai Ne Kodmium Sit which means warning may contain cadmium in latin a dead language chuck let's hear about the first honoree our first fear medal goes to those news organizations who barred their employees from attending john's rally because they thought it might make them look biased abc cbs the ap the New York Times, and especially National Public Radio. Congratulations. Oh, no! Oh, no, not NPR! If their employees attend John's rallies, someone might think that NPR is liberal. No one could tell from the free pledge drive hemp fiber tote bags they use to carry their organic kale roll-ups to their compost parties. And since, since they wouldn't allow any of their employees to attend. I am forced to present this award to someone with more courage, a seven-year-old girl. Come on out, darling. Hi, hi, hi. What's your name? Haley. Hi, Haley. Now, uh, uh little girl. Are you scared to be here?
2: No, this is fine.
1: wear it with pride darling great job a seven-year-old girl everybody
3: phenomenon. This election season, two of the most important political events have been orchestrated by not politicians, but TV personalities. Fox News anchor Glenn Beck's event happened back in August. This weekend, it was Comedy Central stars Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert rallying the masses here in Washington. NPR's Andrea Seabrook reports on the demonstration, uh, or the protest, uh, or whatever it was.
4: The first sign that this was not going to be a normal political rally was when two stars on the Discovery Channel, the Mythbusters, Jamie Heinemann and Adam Savage, climbed the stage. They had two seismologists and a seismograph set up offstage to record the impact of the entire crowd jumping all at once. Three, two, one. That is the coolest vision I have ever seen. Yeah, I felt that. The crowd packed the mall from the U.S. Capitol to the Washington Monument, 16 blocks of people, there to see their political guru.
5: And now, please welcome your host,
2: John Stewart!
4: He then brought on supposed conservative Stephen Colbert, who Stewart had to block from trying to get the crowd to kneel before him
6: no kneeling! There is no kneeling! There's
1: no bowing, there's no kneeling. These are reasonable people, this is... They're reasonable for now, John. But soon there'll be a mindless panic mob, once I release the bees. What?
4: And so on. It was more of a spoof of a rally than a rally itself, and the audience played right along. Signs said things like, fight the power after lunch. There's nothing to fear but fear itself and spiders. And from Chris Smith of New York City... Beer! We're here in support of beer. Jen Malek of St. Louis, Missouri, carried a sign that read, Hyperbole is destroying America. Her point? Trying to bring adult conversation back to uh, our nation's governance instead of, you suck, no, you suck more, you're evil, no, you're evil.
7: The absurdity of the
8: rhetoric has just gotten out of line.
4: Chuck Yormy drove down from Newark, Delaware.
8: He screaming about death panels, screaming that they're gonna take 500 billion out of Medicare, and to be screaming like you're a bunch of kindergarten children having tantrums is ridiculous.
4: A group of people marched by chanting, three-word slogan.
2: Three-word slogan! Three-word slogan! Three-word
1: slogan! Ow!
4: It wasn't until the very end of the so-called rally to restore sanity that Jon Stewart got a little serious.
6: And now I thought we might have a moment, however brief, for some sincerity. Uh, If that's okay, I know there are boundaries for a comedian, pundit,
4: talker guy, and I'm sure I'll find out tomorrow how I have violated them. All the bickering and hostility and hyperbole in politics these days, Stewart lays the blame, at least in part, on the media. The press
6: can hold its magnifying glass up to our problems, bringing them into focus, illuminating issues heretofore unseen. Or they can use that magnifying glass to light ants on fire and then perhaps host a week of shows on the sudden, unexpected, dangerous, flaming ant
4: epidemic. He seemed pleased and surprised by the number of people who showed up for an event that was more a protest of politics than a political protest. And he told them, I'm happy you're here, even if none of us are quite sure why we are here. Andrea Seabrook, NPR News, Washington.
2: we'll fill the metro skies with country air. And when you close your tired eyes, I'll meet you there.
0: For the purposes of this episode, when you hear this sound... <laughs> You're about to hear something generally pleasant and, for the most part, well-reasoned, said by someone attending the Rally for Sanity in Washington, D.C. on October 30th. Views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of the management, but, you know, I'd probably want to be buddies with them.
9: What do you think the purpose of this rally is? What do you think Jon Stewart's trying to say?
10: We're having a really tough time in our nation and our government right now as far as like partisanship. We've seen on both sides people that either are very, my idea and not your idea, this is the only way to fix our country. There
0: are a lot of reasonable people out here who don't have extreme views. And even though I might disagree with half
11: the people around here, I don't obviously think they're Hitler. Yeah. There are a lot of rallies and uh, there's signs and I've seen them. And they all seem to be confused about who Hitler is and is not, so I just wanted to stamp out any confusion. What do you think the purpose of this rally is?
12: Ask John.
9: (laughs) Well, I guess, why did you want to be a part of the rally?
12: I think it's important to be a part of something. I think it's important to stand up for something.
9: Why this something?
12: Because it's about sanity.
0: If you're like most Americans, then fighting traffic across town or flying across the country for business meetings is one of your favorite pastimes. Unfortunately, the same way sweets are making us fat, some of our favorite pastimes, like business travel, are killing the planet. And that's why my liberal guilt leads me to advocate for GoToMeeting. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with clients or coworkers online while sharing exactly what's on your screen, so it's just like meeting in person, minus the jet lag and exploded dinosaur remains. Listeners of this show can try out an unlimited number of meetings for 45 days by visiting GoToMeeting.com and using the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST for a special free 45-day trial.
6: And now I thought we might have a moment, however brief, for some sincerity. Uh, If that's okay, I know there are boundaries for a comedian, pundit, talker guy, and I'm sure I'll find out tomorrow how I have violated them. (laughs) I'm really happy you guys are here. Um, Even if none of us are really quite sure why we are here. Some of you may have seen today as a clarion call for action. Or some of the hipper, more ironic cats as a clarion call for action. Clearly some of you just wanted to see the Air and Space Museum and got royally screwed. And I'm sure a lot of you were just here to have a nice time. And I hope you did. I know that many of you made a great effort to be here today, and I want you to know that everyone involved with this project worked incredibly hard to make sure that we honored the effort that you put in and gave you the best show that we could possibly do. We know your time's valuable, and we didn't want to waste it. And we are all extremely honored to have had a chance to perform for you on this beautiful space on the mall in Washington, D.C. So uh, what exactly was this? I can't control what people think this was I can only tell you my intentions this was not a rally to ridicule people of faith or people of activism or to look down our noses at the heartland or passionate argument or to suggest that times are not difficult and that we have nothing to fear they are and we do but we live now in hard times not end times And we can have animus and not be enemies. But unfortunately, one of our main tools in delineating the two broke. The country's 24-hour politico-pundit perpetual panic conflictinator did not cause our problems but its existence makes solving them that much harder. The press can hold its magnifying glass up to our problems, bringing them into focus Illuminating issues heretofore unseen. Or they can use that magnifying glass to light ants on fire. And then perhaps host a week of shows on the sudden, unexpected, dangerous flaming ant epidemic. If we amplify everything, we hear nothing. There are terrorists, and racists, and Stalinists, and theocrats. But those are titles that must be earned. You must have the resume. Not being able to distinguish between real racists and Tea Partiers, or real bigots and Juan Williams or Rick Sanchez is an insult, not only to those people, but to the racists themselves who have put in the exhausting effort it takes to hate. Just as the inability to distinguish terrorists from Muslims makes us less safe, not more. The press is our immune system. If it overreacts to everything, we actually get sicker and perhaps eczema. (laughs) And yet, with that being said, I feel good. Strangely, calmly good. Because the image of Americans that is reflected back to us by our political and media process is false it is us through a funhouse mirror and not the good kind that makes you look slim in the waist and maybe taller but the kind where you have a giant forehead and an ass shaped like a month old pumpkin and one eyeball So why would we work together? Why would you reach, uh, why would you reach across the aisle to a pumpkin-assed forehead eyeball monster? If the picture of us were true, of course our inability to solve problems would actually be quite sane and reasonable. Why would you work with Marxists actively subverting our Constitution? Or racists and homophobes who see no one's humanity but their own. We hear every damn day about how fragile our country is on the brink of catastrophe, torn by polarizing hate, and how it's a shame that we can't work together to get things done. But The truth is, we do. We work together to get things done every damn day. The only place we don't is here or on cable TV. But Americans don't live here or on cable TV. Where we live, our values and principles form the foundation that sustains us while we get things done not the barriers that prevent us from getting things done most americans don't live their lives solely as democrats republicans liberals or conservatives americans live their lives more as people that are just a little bit late for something they have to do Often something they do not want to do, but they do it. Impossible things every day that are only made possible through the little reasonable compromises we all make. Look, look on the screen. This is, this is where we are. This is who we are. These cars. That's a school teacher who probably thinks his taxes are too high. He's going to work. There's another car, a woman with two small kids. Can't really think about anything else right now. There's another car swinging. I don't even know if you can see it. The lady's in the the NRA and loves Oprah. There's another car, an investment banker. Gay, also likes Oprah. Another car is a Latino carpenter. Another car, a fundamentalist vacuum salesman atheist obstetrician, Mormon Jay-Z fan. But this is us! Every one of the cars that you see is filled with individuals of strong belief and principles they hold dear. Often principles and beliefs in direct opposition to their fellow travelers. And yet these millions of cars must somehow find a way to squeeze one by one into a mile-long, 30-foot-wide tunnel. Carved underneath a mighty river <laughs> Carved by people by the way who I'm sure had their differences and they do it concession by concession You go then I'll go you go then I'll go You go then I'll go oh my god. Is that an, NRI, an NRA sticker on your car. Is that an Obama sticker on your car? Uh, well, that's okay. You go and then I'll go and sure at some point there will be a selfish jerk who zips up the shoulder and cuts in at the last minute. But that individual is rare and he is scorned and not hired as an analyst. (laughs) Because we know instinctively as a people that if we are to get through the darkness and back into the light, We have to work together. And the truth is, there will always be darkness. And sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel isn't the promised land. Sometimes it's just New Jersey. But we do it anyway, together. If you want to know why I'm here, and what I want from you I can only assure you this you have already given it to me your presence was what I wanted sanity will always be and has always been in the eye of the beholder to see you here today And the kind of people that you are has restored mine. Thank you.
9: Why should america calm the fuck down
12: i think it's just really really way too hyper about this thing it's just way too much it's we can what's do this what's
9: More this too. thing
12: all the politics one way and the other i mean really we can do this without freaking the fuck out i see this as transcending politics this rally it's a uh, a call for larger discourse and a civil discussion
10: we came out today because uh the Democrats are getting blamed for everything that happened in the Republican administration.
9: Now, do you think that there might be reasons someone might vote Republican even if they do remember? They're forgetting something, or they wouldn't be voting Republican. So the only option, if you have a good memory, is to vote for Democrats.
10: That's right, exactly.
9: Now, you don't, you don't think, in the, at this restoring sanity rally, where John Stewart's calling for people to start communicating across sides, that you're contributing to the problem?
10: Well, I think uh, restoring sanity means to see things more clearly.
5: Here in the next few minutes, all of us here at Countdown and a lot of us among the progressives had one major, well-defined problem with the rally to restore sanity and or fear, and we're going to address that in a moment in our number one story, a false equivalence between what we do here and what Fox News and the like do there. But first, the overall message that the tone needs to change, that the volume needs to change was not lost on any of us. The anger in this news hour was not an original part of it, nor was it an artifice that we added to it. It was a response to a threat to this democracy posed by Mr. Bush and now by his lineal descendants. The anger happened. It will still happen. It is not for ratings, and it is not, get angry first and find a reason later. But there is an institutionalization of it that may no longer be valid. That is the worst persons in the world segment, which started, of all things, as a way of defending Tucker Carlson. Its satire and whimsy have gradually gotten lost in some anger, so in the spirit of the thing, as of right now, I'm unilaterally suspending that segment with an eye towards discontinuing it. We don't know how that works long term. We might bring it back, we might bring back something similar to it, we might kill it outright, and next week we will solicit your input. It's just that today, given the serious stuff we have to start covering tomorrow, we think it's the right time to do it short term, and then we'll see what happens. And we'll also see if anybody else, on TV, or radio will do something similar. As to the event, an estimated crowd of 215,000 on the National Mall on Saturday, and the costumes and the takeoff tea party signs were out in full force and were terrific. On stage, The Roots played house band for the acts acts like John Legend, Kid Rock, Sheryl Crow, Father Guido Sarducci gave the benediction. The Mythbusters, Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman, on hand to conduct crowd wave experiments and one wore a tie, and one point asking 200,000 plus people to get airborne so they could get a seismic reading when they landed. Eventually, Colbert and Stewart paired on stage for their sanity versus fear battle royale in a debate setting. Mr. Stewart called out basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, just like an inventory of all my friends were at this thing, to prove to Colbert there are not Muslims, but rather people who are Muslim. For his part, Colbert unleashed the media to help him keep fear alive, playing cable news clip reels, mostly consisting of sound bites from Fox News and MSNBC. The point to demonstrate the left and right going back and forth at one other, sowing fear and division. You see my face in there, I had called Brian Kilmeade of Fox News an un-American bastard after he had said, all Muslims are terrorists. John Oliver, as Peter Pan, came out and helped Mr. Stewart slay the fear-fronting Colbert. And then John Stewart announced he was getting sincere about the real problem.
6: The country's 24-hour politico-pundit perpetual Panic conflictinator (laughs) did not cause our problems, but its existence makes solving them that much harder. Why would you work with Marxists actively subverting our constitution, or racists and homophobes who see no one's humanity but their own? We hear every damn day about how fragile our country is, on the brink of catastrophe, torn by polarizing hate. And how it's a shame that we can't work together to get things done. But The truth is, we do. We work together to get things done every damn day. The only place we don't is here or on cable TV.
5: Embedded in that message is an equivocation of the right-wing cable news network, Fox, and the one that's on the left, this one, as if we're each equidistant from sanity, each equally to blame for the division Stewart talks about. What are the odds of two cable channels on opposite sides of the political spectrum being exactly the same in every other respect, exactly as bad in dividing the country, exactly as bad in twisting facts, exactly as bad in demonizing religious minorities, exactly as bad in defending the corporatization of the country? What are the odds that a network, this one, which acquired a progressive bent, essentially by inadvertence after I took a stand against the Iraq war that is now the definition of mainstream, would be exactly as bad as a network founded by a conservative billionaire who hired a former Nixon campaign man to run it for the express purpose of espousing the same right-wing view of the world that the same company loses millions of dollars a year pushing a failed newspaper with, and which then gave millions of dollars to the Republican Party apparatus this year. Sticking up for the powerless is not the moral equivalent of sticking up for the powerful.
0: You can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon through a special widget posted at bestoftheleft.com. You can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally. Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
11: A lot of the messages are just so simplified in terms of you know how things really work, and people was, people yeah. are just real easy to get behind these just very simple messages. I feel like there's no, not a lot
9: of critical thoughts. What do you what do you think these simple messages are coming from? I mean, it seems to me, not just Fox News, but the whole kind of corporate news cycle is very focused on short things people can get behind, yeah. but a lot on, of the On ones any are... side, right? Like, yeah. Like, on the whole spectrum. So where do you guys get your news, then? Um... Daily, Show. The Daily Show. The Daily Show.
10: The Daily Show. John Stewart. John Stewart, mostly. I get my news from John Stewart.
9: I, I really don't watch... You think John Stewart would like to hear that? I think he would be frightened to hear that. Um... And as well he should be. Do you think that Jon Stewart supports the idea that people are watching his show to get news? I don't think so.
12: I think he wishes that we all researched it more than at his show, really. Because he says it's a comedy show and we really should be getting that kind of news from actual news shows. Have I mean, you
9: ever heeded that advice? Uh, no. No, no.
1: This is On the Media. I'm Bob Garfield.
12: And I'm Brooke Gladstone with this clip of Stephen Colbert from last week's Rally to Restore Sanity and or Fear.
1: Chuck, let's hear about the first honoree. Our first fear medal goes to those news organizations who barred their employees from attending John's rally because they thought it might make them look biased. ABC, CBS, the AP... The New York Times, and especially National Public Radio. Congratulations. Oh, no. Oh, no, not NPR. If their employees attend John's rallies, someone might think that NPR is liberal.
12: For many media outlets, the appearance of bias is no joke. That's why MSNBC just suspended primetime host Keith Olbermann, who, Politico reported, made campaign contributions to three Democrats this fall. But we already knew what he thought. Why suspend him? Because mainstream news outlets often profess to have no opinion. And that's why so many reporters couldn't join in the rally. But if showing up at the rally means you have an opinion, and let's assume it does, does that mean you can't be a good reporter? We know true objectivity is impossible. We use unconscious biases to filter billions of bits of sensory information every day just to function. Reporters sorting through data have to do the same thing. So is this impartiality obsession just about appearance, and do we need to keep up that appearance to retain the trust of the news consumer? In the run-up to the 2004 election, I prodded several journalists for their views on objectivity, appearance of, starting with Michael Scholar, who was then Minnesota Public Radio's managing director for news.
11: We restrict our reporters' political activity.
12: Scholar says the policy applies to everyone, from political correspondents to arts reporters.
11: So that means you shouldn't register as a member of a political party, you shouldn't participate in a Minnesota caucus, you shouldn't attend rallies or show any other public support for a party or a political cause.
12: With the exception of restricting party affiliation, which is unusual, his is the policy that prevails in most newsrooms. But just because you don't trumpet your beliefs doesn't mean you don't have them.
11: This notion that German ought to be sort of political, ideological eunuchs who don't have any political views is just hopeless.
12: Michael Kinsley is a longtime editor and columnist, now for Politico.
11: The question isn't whether they hold opinions, but whether they suppress those opinions to the extent they can when they do their work.
12: When Kinsley was the editor of Slate, he disclosed who he was voting for and invited his reporters and editors to do the same. Mostly they did. He admits it was less risky for Slate than for other news outlets because Slate is a journal of commentary and analysis,
11: but... I think newspapers ought to do it precisely because it's a fiction to suppose that reporters don't have political views and it would be healthier and more honest if they simply said what they were. Len
12: Downey, who was then editor of the Washington Post, now retired, is the poster child for the opposing view, the one that says reporters should keep mum. But he takes it even further. When executive editor Ben Bradley handed him the reins more
7: than two decades ago, he stopped voting. Unlike the rest of our staff, I had the last word as to whether or not the paper was being fair in its reporting on these issues. And I didn't want to take a position even in my own mind on them. I wanted to maintain a completely open mind.
12: And so despite all the information that flows through your desk and all you know about uh, the political environment of Washington, D.C., you are able to not make up your mind?
7: Yes, actually it comes fairly easily to me. I guess it's the nature of my personality to see all sides of most issues. In fact, I'm rather surprised at people that are so definite about things.
11: Did he say he can bend forks with his mind? You know, some people can do remarkable things.
12: Michael Kinsley.
11: I mean, Len Downey, I admire, but I'm not sure that I would admire him as much if I thought that he was really able to uh, go blank in his mind as easily as he claims to. The
12: argument against laying your cards on the table, assuming you have any, is twofold. The first says that if reporters state their conflict of interest, editors would have to bar them from covering certain stories because the public wouldn't trust them to be fair, even if they were. It's about appearances, and we'll return to that one. But there's a second more intriguing argument, the one that says taking a political stance makes your views stronger. Public Radio International's Michael Scholar.
11: When you kind of put a sign up or put your money where your mouth is, you move from observing to acting. And I think that changes you internally. I mean, you can even see it when people purchase a car. You know, how many friends have you had where they finally, they struggle with what car to purchase, and when they finally purchase it, they try to convince all their friends how brilliant their decision was. That, you know, kind of putting a stake in the ground makes you vest it.
12: Ethan Bronner. Jerusalem bureau chief for the New York Times has spent decades on difficult beats and managed not to get vested in his stories even when reporting from the most polarized place on the planet.
13: I uh, spent many years in the Middle East and I have, you know, views on what should happen or what could have happened or what has happened, but I also think that the most important view I have is is to keep my mind open to the idea that my own view may be wrong. He might say bending forks with your mind is part of the job. I don't think it's a question of being more honest to come forward and say, this is what I think, because I think that once you announce your view, you persuade yourself in addition to others. Whereas if you force yourself not to come to a conclusion about a difficult question and to leave yourself open, you will stay more open. Michael Kinsley concedes that
12: the best argument for keeping your views to yourself is that there's a feedback loop.
11: Yes, that's a clever argument, and I wouldn't say it's worthless. The argument that I do think is worthless is the argument that you shouldn't do it because of the appearances. And I feel pretty strongly that the job of journalism is to make appearances accord with reality not to make reality accord with appearances.
10: In the British case, there is that tradition of being much more overtly adversarial about things.
11: Jeremy O'Grady is the
12: editor-in-chief of The Week in London.
10: There is a very traditional ding-dong between left-leaning and right-leaning papers, which um, tends to up the ante quite a lot. They do look at each other a lot of the time and take account of their arguments, and and throw them back.
12: Ethan Bronner says that we should not seek a cure for what ails the American media in the European press.
13: I think that would be a big mistake. The editor of Le Monde, for example, will on a given day gather his editors around him and say, okay, let's have a main editorial saying that the Iraq war is wrong. Let's get a feature out of Baghdad showing what's problematic about it. And I want a front page story that does something else, similar to that. Whereas it seems to me that We come to work every day saying, what's it going to be like today? What elements, what interstices of truth are we going to discover today? And I don't mean this in a naive fashion. I think that we consciously try to keep our perspective on whether it's a good or a bad thing at bay in order to report it as best we can. But American reporters
12: are people too. They tend to be biased in favor of freedom and democracy. They couldn't get a decent job if they took what could be seen in another nation as a balanced position on socialism say, or Osama bin Laden. And our values change with the times. What might have passed for balanced coverage of slavery 200 years ago would read like lunacy today. The fact that no has a corner on the truth could be used to back kinsley's argument
11: you start with the situation of reporters trying to do their best to be objective but having views because they're intelligent human beings why don't we just find out what their beliefs are let the readers know and let everybody go about their business
7: But the slipperiness of truth also makes Lynn Downey's case. So many of the most important public issues do not have a clear cut right and wrong. And in fact, the public divides evenly over them. And if one of our journalists covering that issue were to have a strong conviction on one side or the other, it would be impossible for them to cover that story fairly. It is very difficult for non-journalists to understand how so many journalists, so many people who choose this profession and particularly choose to work with the ethics of the Washington Post have chosen almost to be monks, if you will, to be observers, not participants, but observers. That's what we do here.
12: But observing inevitably leads to a viewpoint based on what is observed. It's a limited viewpoint, to be sure. The only way to broaden it is to consume the work of reliable witnesses beyond your range of vision, witnesses like journalists. But many people think they already know who and what NPR or The New York Times or MSNBC or Fox are. They may be wrong, but it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's the reporting that matters. Reporting that is undistorted by attempts to appear objective. Reporting that calls a lie a lie right after the lie, not in a box labeled analysis. Reporting that doesn't distort truth by treating unequal arguments equally. We started with a quote from Colbert. Let's end with an observation he made some years back, that sometimes even reality has a bias.
9: Besides John Stewart, who do you think has done a, a good job covering anyone? Um, I think Keith Overman does a good job. Of-
11: MSNBC,
10: Huffington Post, no Huffington Post, Huffington Post,
11: <laughs> MSNBC.
9: I am a fan of MSNBC. Like I enjoy, I enjoy uh, some of the shows on there. But I, I do realize that you know they have their spin as well. You cited John Stewart first and then Keith Overman but John Stewart's certainly not very nice to Keith Overman Keith Overman said a lot of sort of no, a lot of uh, yeah. exaggerated hyperbole has come out of has come out of, yeah, of Keith Overman over- you, you still, but you still stand by him as a good source for news. Well, I mean, I. I like I like the way that he brings things to the surface. Is he always correct? I don't think anybody's always correct. But you know, it, it, I like I like his attitude and I like the the what his format that the way he brings things forward. Do you think that there might be people who watch Glenn Beck that would say the same thing about him that he just brings things to the oh, surface? Sure. And you know, and and it's you know, everybody's going to listen to their specific point of view.
8: if you're going to have a rally where hundreds of thousands of people show up, you might as well go ahead and make it about something. Now, (laughs) with all due respect to my friends John and Stephen, it seems to me that if you truly wanted to come down on the side of restoring sanity and reason, you'd side with the sane and the reasonable. and, And not try to pretend that the insanity is equally distributed in both parties. Keith Olbermann is right when he says he's not the equivalent of Glenn Beck. (laughs) One reports facts, the other one is very close to playing with his poop. (laughs) And the big mistake of modern media has been this notion of balance for balance's sake. That the left is just as violent and cruel as the right. That unions are just as powerful as corporations. That reverse racism is just as damaging as racism. There's a difference between a madman and a madman. <laughs> now, getting over 200,000 people to come to a liberal rally is a great achievement that gave me hope. And what I really loved about it was that it was twice the size of the Glenn Beck crowd on the mall in August. Although it weighed the same. (laughs) But the message of the rally, as I heard it, Was that if the media would just stop giving voice to the crazies on both sides, then maybe we could restore sanity? It was all nonpartisan and urged cooperation with the moderates on the other side. Forgetting that Obama tried that and found out there are no moderates on the other side. (laughs) When, (laughs) When John announced his rally, he said that the national conversation is dominated by people on the right who believe Obama's a socialist and people on the left who believe 9-11 was an inside job. But I can't name any Democratic leaders who think 9-11 was an inside job, but Republican leaders who think Obama's a socialist? All of them. McCain, Boehner, Cantor, Palin, all of them. It's now official Republican dogma, like tax cuts pay for themselves and gay men just haven't met the right woman. <laughs> As, as another example of both sides using overheated rhetoric, John cited the right equating Obama with Hitler and the left calling Bush a war criminal. Except thinking Obama is like Hitler is utterly unfounded. But thinking Bush is a war criminal? That's the opinion of General Anthony Tugaboo, who headed the Army's investigation to Abu Ghraib. Republicans... <clears throat> You see, Republicans keep staking out a position that is further and further right and then demand Democrats meet them in the middle, which is now not the middle anymore. That's the reason health care reform is so watered down. It's Bob Dole's old plan from 1994. Same thing with cap and trade. It was the first President Bush's plan to deal with carbon emissions. Now the Republican plan for climate change is to claim it's a hoax. But it's not. I know that because I've lived in L.A. since 83, and there's been a change in the city. I can see it now. Yeah. All of us who live out here have had that experience. Oh look, there's a mountain there. Governments, led by Liberal Democrats, passed laws which changed the air I breathe for the better. Okay, I'm for them, and not for the party that is, as we speak, plotting to abolish the EPA. And I don't need to pretend that both sides have a point here. And I don't care what left or right commentators say about it. I only care what climate scientists say about it. Two opposing sides don't necessarily have two compelling arguments. Martin Luther King spoke on that mall in the Capitol, and he didn't say, remember folks, those southern sheriffs with the fire hoses and the German shepherds, they have a point too. (laughs) No, he said, I have a dream, they have a nightmare. This isn't Team Edward and Team Jacob. (laughs) Liberals, like the ones on that field, Must stand up and be counted and not pretend that we're as mean or greedy or short sighted or just plain batshit as they are. And if that's too polarizing for you and you still want to reach across the aisle and hold hands and sing with someone on the right, try church.
1: The news media today, and I'm talking about not just Fox, MSNBC, CNN, all these news outlets are only interested in making money, so they've got to present drama. And that's not news. And the media in the 24-hour news cycle seems to be focusing
14: so much on how do I get ratings, how do I get my point across, and since there are so many people talking, the only way seems to be that, oh, well, we'll just focus on whatever the
11: biggest, loudest thing is that we can make the most comments on. Intelligent arguments said in a reasonable manner don't don't really make good sound bites and don't really get lots of views on YouTube.
1: They take a, a benign story uh, of moderately interesting story, and they fill it full of drama and make everybody afraid. The 24-7 cycle doesn't allow for
12: good news. Everybody is got the adrenaline rush and overstimulation of fear, fear, fear. If you don't pass this, then we're going to be overrun by illegals and your way of life is going to disappear. The haves, be afraid. The have-nots are coming for you. The have-nots, be afraid. It'll never get any better. No! So you think
9: that the journalism is suffering because of that?
1: Oh, yeah, I don't think there are any real journalists today. You know, one of the signs I saw for this rally was uh, Edward R. Murrow would roll over in his grave. Oh, you betcha. You know, Walter Cronkite wouldn't understand what's going on now. Do you think there
9: are consequences to to having a, a, a news landscape like that?
1: Yeah, people are less informed.
0: So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoyed this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, Please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
3: John Stewart, thank you for coming in. I know you're under the weather. It's nice of you to come in.
6: I have the bubons, but I'm happy to be <laughs> here. I'm here to take me medicine.
3: You are here at the the 24-hour political pundit perpetual panic conflictinator.
6: Yeah, conflictinator, by the way, is a reference to Phineas and Ferb, the cartoon. Oh, the uh, the evil Doofenshmirtz, Doctor Doofenshmirtz. Uh, my kids watch it, everything he makes is an in, inator.
2: My conflictinator. So that's...
3: Um you don't do all that many interviews I think I've done I think I've read every one that you've done oh, in the really? last couple of years because I, right. I tend to over prepare uh, why did you why did you want to talk to me why did you wanna
6: do this uh, after the rally you know uh, whenever you go out there we whatever you put out you can only control your intention you can't control its perception or how people receive it and you can control your execution uh, so when people are perceiving it as something people that i respect are perceiving it as something that uh we didn't perceive it as sort of either two or three things one is we were inartful in the way that we conceived it and presented it uh our intention was wrong or off not clear uh or it's being misperceived so i guess it's there's probably a fourth <laughs> i don't know what that would be
3: on the issue of um the perception of the rally in media. Um, Bill Maher said Bill Maher's criticism of it was this: He said when John announced his rally, he said that the national conversation is dominated by people on the right who believe Obama is a socialist and people mm-hmm. on the left who believe nine eleven was an inside job. But I can't name any Democratic leaders who think nine eleven was an inside job. Right. Republican leaders who think Obama is a socialist. It's all of them.
6: Yeah, I mean that's a paraphrase of what we said again that's probably in our finish. we didn't say 911 was an inside job but what we said was uh, these is marks on the left and that Bush went to war in Iraq and I, I can't even remember exactly Bush is what it Hitler was. and Obama no, was something but but it was more about uh, that 911 was a chance for Halliburton to get their hands on oil contracts and so it's again I I, I take his point it's a fair point but I don't that's not exactly what we said, and it's mm-hmm. certainly not, I think, that's not the seminal thrust of what we were saying. Um, again, the intention was not to say that, peop- that's, that that's people on the left and that's people on the right. The intention is to say that we've all bought into that the conflict in this country is left and right. Mm. Liberal, dem- Liberal, conservative, red, blue. And all the news networks have bought into that. CNN sort of started it. They, they had this idea that, you know, the fight in Washington is Republicans and Democrats. So, why don't we isolate that, and we'll stand back here, and, and that's, you know, Democrats and Republicans will go at it. Red and blue staters will go at it. And what it does is it amplifies a division that I actually don't think is the right fight. But if what you're asking me is, do I believe that? What, what he's saying, that's what I believe? No. But what I do believe is both sides have their way of shutting down debate. And the news networks have allowed these two sides to become the fight in the country. And I think the fight in the country is corruption versus not corruption, hmm. extremist versus regular.
3: What's do you understand the, what I'm saying? The, yeah, but what's the lefty way of shutting down? Well, I mean, I.
6: Okay, yeah. you, you've said. Uh, Bush is a war criminal. Now that may be technically true. In my world war criminal is Pol Pot or the Nuremberg trials.
3: Or Harry it's not Truman, saying but then you took that back. Yeah. yeah.
6: And, and I did for good reason because yeah. I don't think he, he was. And I think that you know again we have to define our terms. But I think that's such an incendiary charge that when you put it into conversation as well technically he is. That, that may be right but it feels like a conversation stopper not a conversation starter the complaint was in the clip reel we had a woman shouting as an example of uh, dialogue that we were talking about not being helpful a woman at a meeting shouting Bush is a war criminal, that's really where that came from, not yeah. from saying it in normal conversation right. we were talking about tone there not content necessarily we were talking about standing up in the middle of a meeting and just shouting that right my problem is it's become tribal and if you have 24-hour networks that focus their job is to highlight the conflict between two sides where I don't think that's the main conflict in our society that was the point of the rally was to deflate that idea that that's a real conflict, red and blue, Democrat, Republican. But I, I feel like there's a bigger difference between people with kids and people who don't have kids right. than red state, blue state.
3: But I, th- I guess the 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 way I and I f- I follow your logic and I believe what you're saying <laughs> up until a point. And
6: the I'm point, glad somebody's
3: following. No, it. I, I do follow like your that. logic, and but it's, right. I mean, the people interrupting. People interrupting meetings and interrupting rallies are direct action activists who are doing stuff to be purposely disruptive and a pain in order to okay. sort of throw a wrench in the works. Right. And then on and then on the other side So You're
6: saying that it's it's really nothing.
3: Well, it's not that it's nothing, it's just not being done with the same level of authority as it is on the right. Okay. Like the second amendment remedies thing. Right. That's people running for senate.
6: But how did you how did you handle town hall meetings when Tea partiers interrupted the town hall meetings with the same level of dismissiveness? Or did you handle it with the sense that, what's going on here, these angry people? Who are these angry
3: people? Well my coverage of that was about it being organized. Okay. Yeah.
6: But again, that is the your coverage of it was to delegitimize it? That it was actually not real; it was astroturf.
3: No, actually, no. No It was. I think my my approach to that was to say this is being used as a widespread political tactic Mm -hmm. by people with a lot of money and a lot of stake in the policy issues, and they're sort of deploying direct action activists in a way that that, we haven't seen before.
6: Would you say that the general spirit of the block of coverage on MSNBC was as uh, dismissive of the woman who stands up and says Bush is a war criminal? Or the people at the town hall? Do you think that they were l- viewed through it the same prism?
3: I I think that they were viewed through an appropriately proportional prism because I think Code Pink is like twelve ladies, and I think that literally half of Indiana says they identify with the Tea Party.
6: And so but again, you are you know they say they identify with the Tea Party. What does that mean? Yeah. Identify how? Identify with their the, the idea that they like smaller government, or identify with yelling in a town hall? This is. I, I'm not saying look I love the voices that I hear on MSNBC and there's a difference between here's what's unfair about what I do this is really what's a great here's a great thing that I think is unfair you're one person with one great voice and uh, sincere and studying, but I, I'm a climate scientist mm-hmm. I study weather patterns and climate you, you're you're talking about the weather and maybe these networks are not meant to be viewed in aggregate but there is an aggregate there is an effect and when people say well you're influential too i'm a twenty two minute show and when i say you know puppets making crank calls in front of me i don't mean that to diminish comedy i mean that that is not then reinforced through the next person through it's not a relay and there is a a amplifying effect to the relay yeah and this is not you know I don't I want to make perfectly clear cuz I I think if the argument is you do exactly what Fox do and you're as bad as Fox anybody who has watched our show in any measure would understand the special place in our hearts (laughs) for Fox (laughs) yeah so I, I again it feels to me like false equivalence sounds like something that you're doing as well We have a tendency to grant amnesty to people that we agree with and to overly demonize people we don't. I do the same thing, I think everybody does.
14: Hey, this is Ari from uh, Vacaville, California just want to comment about education I, uh, I dropped out when I was in uh, high school and uh, it was strange because both my parents were teachers and my aunts my grandma everybody's teachers have uh, been raised by educators and I know the importance of education yet I also saw you know how there's not a big connection between you know I, I, I respect Jake Hubert and what he was saying on, on, on uh, Young Turks but he's He was pointing out that, you know, if you just get straight A's and you just get on your kids and and, and tell them to, you know, really just push and try, then, you know, it'll help. But, I mean, that's just accepting the the failed school system and taking things into your own hands. And, yeah, there's some parents that can do that, but then, you know, and and they're already doing it. But what happens to all the other ones? And then the other disconnect is on the other end. When you get out of school, they put this emphasis on college, like, you're going to have a job and you're going to be set that's not true i mean i'm doing better than everyone else in my family i have six um there are six siblings in my family and i'm the only one that didn't graduate high school and i'm doing better than the rest of them um that's because i chased after the money i went towards the career i applied myself had nothing to do with my education my sister has been in school for 10 years and she works as a waitress and she's making crap and it's just so lopsided the the the, the difference between what actually is reality and what they're telling us. So, if that disconnect can be, that gap can be closed, and if the gap between the parents and the, 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 the students, the, their kids, can be closed, um, that would help. But it's such a bigger picture, and it's going to take a lot more for people to, a lot more time and money and, and, and people to talk about this to get this resolved because, uh, I mean, look, parents can't even be home with their students to help them with their homework because they're off working two jobs because they're trying to pay for a mortgage that's underwater and yada yada. It's all connected. So somehow the connection's got to be brought back into order and then we can start seeing like real possible results for this. But until then, man, I'm just hoping and and, and trying to encourage the young students that I know. And uh, that's about all I think I can do right now on a personal level. But... Anyway, just want to throw my comment about that. Keep up the show, and I love you, brother.
10: Bye. Hey, Jay. This is Todd from Arizona. You know, you have been doing such a great service for years now, and without getting paid, you know, just for the passion of it. And um, now that you're, you know... Kind of follow your bliss and do some good works at the same time. I totally want to support that. I wish I could do, you know, something I enjoy and love and also helps other people for a living. You know, most of us aren't that lucky. Uh, I also heard you know the, the uh, call back in for the uh, our friends on the left that, that are religious. And um, should we make the show more balanced and stuff like that? It's like, I think our friends on the left uh, that are religious are, um, can understand that we are subject to religion all the time, you know, so maybe cut us a little break there. And two, it's like, if there were enough people on the left that were religious and basically followed the tenets of, say, you know, Christianity and were charitable and kind and, and um, all that kind of stuff there wouldn't be a problem you know i mean conservatism has nothing to do with religion i mean you know paul got a lot of space in the bible but he was an uptight bastard so anyway keep up the good work man i love your show bye hi my name is michael Tepley. i'm from chico california i love your shows i've listened to almost every one of them the, and and I pretty much agree with just everything you say except for one thing. I think you are a little bit too you go too easy on religion. Uh, I know you're not too crazy about it, but I think you should be hardcore on the on religion because I, I think it's a uh, it's a detriment to society. Thank you.
15: Hi Jay, this is Michael from Glen I uh, just finished listening to your episode on the eleventh, um, about the elections and uh and just Obama's uh progress or lack like thereof over the last few years. And first off just wanted to compliment you. I thought it was a great episode. Uh some really powerful stuff there. I can definitely see why you didn't want to edit it out. Uh and um and just another once again it's one of those episodes where I just I just couldn't agree more with pretty much everything that was said. But really, um, I kind of, I mainly wanted to comment uh, on Jenk uh, uh, on the last uh, last segment from The Young Turks, where he was talking about campaign reform, and this is something that I've, I've always felt strongly about. I strongly agree with with what he said, and and feel exactly the same way. Um, and even even go past that, and, and I, I also think term limits are. are uh, or note the lack of term limits in the in the in Congress are a problem as well. But uh, at any rate, m- my question is: is how do you go? How do we, as the people, if, if Congress is not behind it, or anyone in the government for that matter, is behind it? How do we go about changing that? And I don't know if that's a question you have the answer to. I don't know if that's a question that a, a listener could call in and, and give the answer to, or that, or I don't know if that's just something maybe you have some clips on. You know, maybe there's, there's already a movement out there I'm just not aware of. But, uh, I mean, for my part, I don't even know who gets to decide senators' term limits or things like that. I know they vote on pay raises, but do they vote on things like that as well or campaign reform? How, how would we go about putting that on the ballot to get voted for or pushing our, our politicians to, to vote for it if they're the corrupt, they're the corrupt portion? They're the part that needs to be reformed. So, you know, that's that's one thing I think definitely bears or definitely would need to be um, drawn out and and would be useful to know, especially for all the other listeners that feel the same way. So uh, that's that's my comment. So hopefully you can answer my question or point point us to someone who can. And uh, thanks again for everything you do. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in to leave a message. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And, you know, I'm really not kidding about the the title of this episode. I really am happy to have produced this show and gotten kind of all of the comments about the rally out, and now I'm happy to not ever talk about it again. Basically, I'm happy to leave it at the idea— as John Stewart kind of said that if it was interpreted in a way other than they intended, well then they were inartful in how they presented it. Okay, and uh, y- you know if it was interpreted the way they did intend, and you still disagree, well then okay, we disagree. But kind of, uh, I'm I'm happy to take him at his word that it was really well intentioned. I think I think that everyone is so close to being on the same page with this thing, um, that, that the way we have nitpicked it absolutely to death, um, (laughs) is unfortunate. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've been just as big a part of that as anybody. I, uh, you know, anytime I've been asked what I thought of the rally, I say it was 93% good, but let me tell you about that other 7% that I'm irritated about. And, um, So now I'd just like to leave it at it was well-intentioned. They're a little bit more, you know, moderate than some would hope. They were a little bit less political than some would hope. And, uh, so we have mild disagreements, but in general, we're all on the same page. Now I just want to take a minute to thank people who are helping out with the show. Uh, Mike, Colette, Todd, uh, Michael, Gretchen, Adam, Laura, and the five Mats. Huge thanks to all of you guys for volunteering your time, helping out behind the scenes, uh, doing various things. Uh, You obviously know what you're doing, so thank you very much for that. And then uh, members, I would like to thank Tara G., who signed up on April 22nd for a monthly membership and has stuck with the show since then, and Rochelle H., who signed up for a yearly membership starting on September 6th. Huge thanks to both of those members and all the members who make the show possible. Of course, for all the details on membership you could possibly want, simply check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, as you know, everyone can support the show by spreading the word about it to all of your friends and neighbors. They will thank you and love you for it anyways because they'll enjoy the show as much as you do. To stay connected with the show online between episodes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far out, the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
2: Since the fall, we'll take you out.